It's my privilege to introduce our scripture reader for the day, Aaron Johnson. We say here at Bible Center that uh, three movements of the gospel move through our church, and that's worship, belong, and serve. Of course, we worship the Lord all week long in our hearts, but we've come together to worship in a Sunday service, which is why you're here. But Aaron and his family have been at Bible Center worshiping for almost four years. He and Jessica are a part of the Marriage Journey ABF, a South Charleston community group, and a Man Up group that meets on Friday mornings at Panera Bread. He and Jessica and their boys serve as greeters, as ushers, and Jessica leads the Crossroads Dinner, and they help in the nursery. So it's my privilege to introduce Aaron Johnson as he reads the scriptures for us today. Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 23. Please stand for the reading of the word. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Aaron. 
Last night, Sarah and I decided to go out on a date. The last minute, had a great time. But before we left, we decided to get, pick up our kids some food at Taco Bell. And so I thought, well, hey, what's going to be a three or four minute deal? I'll swing through Taco Bell, and, you know, get the cinnamon twists, get the tacos and be home. And we'll go on a date. So I pull into Taco Bell as the fearless husband doing the duty while she continues to get ready uh, for the date. And there were only four cars in front of me, so I was the fifth car. What, what I thought was going to be a three or four minute ordeal turned into a 25 minute or more ordeal. And as I'm sitting at Taco Bell, growing in frustration, I'm counting the cars going through Chick-fil-A, just a couple of lots over. Now, I don't think it was quite 500 cars, but it felt like 500 cars. So the same time period it took me to go five cars, they're going what felt like 500 cars. And when I finally get up to the window, uh, the gentleman lets me know, kind young man, lets me know that the tacos aren't ready, but my cinnamon twists are. And if I hang on just a minute, my tacos will be ready. Now at this point, I realize I have Bible Center plastered all over the back of my car. I've got the sticker, I've got the school logo, I've even got the, the thing from the school that goes across the back windshield. And so I love Jesus, and I'm trying to be good because of Jesus, but if all else fails, those magnets help me be good. I'm thinking to myself, well, is this Taco Bell? You know, you don't have tacos ready. I would think tacos would be ready at Taco Bell. I didn't say all that. I just smiled and thanked him and waited for my tacos. But it occurred to me that companies like Chick-fil-A, they get it. They understand the need to adapt, the need to improve, the need to adjust. And it reminded me of what CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, once said. He said, when the rate of external change exceeds the rate of internal change, disaster is imminent. Disaster is imminent. I'm convinced that Chick-fil-A is what they are because they're constantly adjusting constantly adapting. In our text this morning, we see the Apostle Paul doing the exact same thing. For the first 13 chapters of Acts, it's been very much centered on the Jews and Paul and Peter and James and John and others as they're taking the gospel to people who had religious backgrounds. They, they spoke with religious words. But in Acts 14, everything changes, and Paul goes to a city that has no synagogue. It has very little of any Jewish presence. And the Apostle Paul completely changes his methodology. He changes the way. He doesn't change his message, but he changes the presentation and the way he communicates the gospel. You know, as we look at the next few decades, my 29 more years at Bible Center... I think this text can help us this morning adjust for the next 29 years. And what I mean by that is Bible Center will never, ever change its message. We've been here for 74 years, and next spring we're going to celebrate 75 like nobody's business. So we'll never change the gospel, but how can we reach a city that's becoming less and less Christian and less and less part of the Bible Belt. I'm going to give three suggestions this morning from our text, and then we'll pray. The notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along, or you can also do that on the app. So how can we show hope to our city? How can we truly be a church Charleston can't live without? Well, number one, by showing them that Jesus serves. 
by showing them how Jesus serves. In the text that Aaron read a moment ago, he gives us this uh, tactic of Paul and Barnabas. They go into Lystra, there's no synagogue, and they begin by healing a man who's disabled. It seems from this passage that everybody would have known the disabled man. Uh, seems to be quite famous because as soon as Paul and Barnabas heal this gentleman, the whole city begins to celebrate. So before ever teaching and before ever laying out all the details of the gospel, Paul and Barnabas go into this pagan city and they do good works. Now let's think for just a minute. Where did Paul and Barnabas learn to do this? Who would have been a great example to the Apostle Paul of going into an area and doing good works, even healing and miracles, and drawing a crowd and then preaching and teaching the gospel? I'm convinced his example was Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus went, he went doing good and doing good works. And John says that if the, the, all the works of Jesus were written, the entire world couldn't contain the stories in the books. What about those of us that can't do miracles? Those of us that at least we can pray that God does things, but God's never promised me apostolic authority. He's never told me that I can walk into a CMC hospital and completely clean the hospital out. I wish I had that gift. I really do, but I don't. So what about people like us? How can we do this kind of ministry if we can't lay hands on a, a, a disabled individual with confidence every time that they're going to be healed? And I think the book of Acts also speaks to that. In Acts chapter 6, you have the early church, the widows weren't being cared for, and the apostles tell the church to call out deacons, set apart deacons, that they can serve the widows to make sure they're properly fed, to make sure no one goes uh, without being cared for. And at the end of Acts chapter 6, in verse 7, Luke writes this, Because of that, because of their good works, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The early church pattern was always this. They never used the city, but they always blessed the city. I'll say that again. The early church pattern was never for the church to use the city, but for the church to bless the city. To say it another way, the Apostle Paul was more concerned about serving the city than he was the size of his church. The Apostle Paul was more concerned about serving the city than he was the size of his church. Since being back to Charleston, I've tried to eat lunch or have coffee at least once a day with one of the men in our church or some of the leaders in our city. I look forward to getting to know each of you in different ways. But I was having lunch one day with one of the leaders of our city, and I asked him his opinion, not just of, of Bible Center, but of Christians in Charleston. Tell me what your opinion is. No holds back. Man, I, I'm, I'm buying your lunch. Just tell me what you, what's your opinion of Christians in Charleston. And he said, well, here's, here's a story that illustrates it. He said, once at one of our meetings, uh, we had an agenda item that was controversial. And there were a number of Christians that showed up to fight this agenda item. And he goes, I get it. I, I'm also a believer, and I get it. And we Christians should stand up and, and fight for what is right. 
But he said, after that agenda item, the whole group, this huge group of Christians stood up when they got their agenda item and their belief rightfully uh, stood for. And he said, they all just marched out of the meeting to make a statement. And he said, do you know what the next agenda item on that list was? was feeding some of our inner city kids who don't eat on the weekends. He says, if those same people would start to bless the city instead of always trying to fight the city, Charleston would be theirs. And Bible Center, I'm convinced that if we can determine through the power of the gospel to bless the city and love the city as much as we stand for the truth of the gospel, Charleston will be ours. That's how the Apostle Paul did ministry. And I realize many of you are already doing it. But what would it look like for us to do it more? We had beans and rice last year, and it occurred to us a couple weeks ago that we've never fully given a report uh, of what God used your beans and rice money to do. If you're new to us in the last year, you may be wondering, what in the world is beans and rice? Uh, well, this particular season, different churches have, have different traditions, and, and one of the traditions we're trying to develop is we're going to take a week before Easter and we're going to say any money that we normally would have spent on eating out or eating extravagantly, let's take that money and let's put that aside and give that in a benevolence offering to help folks who are struggling in our city or in our church. And so last year, tens of thousands of dollars were raised. And at the end of the week, not everybody ate beans and rice. I'll confess I didn't only eat beans and rice, but I did learn there's a lot of great ways to make beans and rice. And so this year, maybe uh, we'll be able to do a few more things like that. But and it was funny last year, too. This isn't part of the sermon, but this is free. Um, it, you know, last year during that week, any of us who were eating actually out in restaurants, you always felt kind of guilty. Like when you saw the other person from your church, like, hey, yeah, had beans and rice. I, I know I'm at the chop house, but beans and rice, it was great. Um, but we all gave a benevolence offering at the end of the week, and God used your money to do amazing things. Pastor Chad sent me a report this week, and we'll share more about March 26th, but multiple relief to flood, to flood uh, uh, families who've been affected by the flood, single parents receiving repairs to their house that they couldn't afford to fix, medical bills for multiple people that had been devastated, being able to help them get back on their feet. Uh, one of our widows who lost her house after her husband passed away. You, through this ministry, through Beans and Rice, uh, God used Bible Center, used you to help provide for a down payment for her to get back into a house and to get back on her feet. And we'll share more stories by March 26th. There's another initiative coming up. We mentioned it last Sunday. Starting next week, we'll have the Hope Totes, where you can bring in your Hope Tote. It's all in your bulletin. It's for foster uh, children, their first night in, in a home. Instead of carrying their items in a trash bag or not having the items they need, God's already using you to help provide for foster kids around our state. So how did they do ministry? Well, first of all, they showed how Jesus served. But there's another way they did ministry, and this is where we really want to dig in in the next five years specifically. They showed how Jesus satisfied. They showed how Jesus satisfied. 
in the text that Aaron read a moment ago, we see Paul and Barnabas uh, walking into this city, doing this good work, and immediately they were mistaken for Zeus and Hermes. They thought that Barnabas was Zeus, the, the king of the gods, and they thought that Paul was Hermes. The Roman name for that god is, is Mercury, uh, the speedy messenger. If you've ever been to a florist, you've probably seen this particular symbol uh, of Mercury. It's the picture of the, the, the Roman god with wings on his helmet, wings on his feet. And when they saw Paul, they knew that Paul was the messenger going around to the known world. So they assumed that, well, if they can do these good works and they're so well known, they must be these Greek gods. Imagine as the priests of Zeus brought out the ox, brought out the oxen, covered in garlands, covered in flowers, and they celebrated, uh, these are the gods among us. Now, it seems in this text that Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on at first. They were speaking in a native dialect uh, of Lystra, didn't really know exactly what they were saying. And so maybe at first they thought they were just going to celebrate uh, the fact that they had healed the disabled man. There, what better way to, to celebrate than with steak and a side of fries? I mean, that's a great way to celebrate. They see the oxen coming their way, but then they get the idea. Perhaps they heard the drums begin to beat. They heard the celebration. They, they heard the fires begin to rage, and they realize this is a worship service. And we are about to be worshipped as gods. And so immediately they stop them. No, no, no. We're not Zeus. We're not Hermes. We're just people like you are. And notice what he says in verse 15. Notice Paul's appeal. He says in verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. If you underline in your Bible, you might underline the word good news. This 10-week series is a series on the good news. It's the same word for, for gospel. Paul and Barnabas said, no, we're come to tell you about the good news, this, this doctrine of the gospel. They brought good news that the living God is calling them to turn from vain things. Now we notice what Paul and Barnabas didn't say. Paul and Barnabas didn't say, here's five spiritual laws that you need to believe to go to heaven. I love using the five spiritual law method to evangelize, but that's not what they used. They didn't even go back to the Old Testament and say, let me tell you the Ten Commandments. Lystra, sit down for a minute. Here's the Ten Commandments and the laws that you have broken. Could they have done that? Absolutely. Would they have been right to do that? Absolutely. Did Paul and Barnabas believe in the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. But they used a different tactic. And instead, in verse 15, they says, Paul says, Are you satisfied with these vain things? You see, the people of Lystra, they worshipped many gods. Not just one god. They worshipped many gods. The god of commerce the God of love, the God of romance, the God of agriculture. Uh, anything that they needed, they had a God for it. Church history tells us this eventually carried over into the early church to where the early church then thought they needed a saint 
for every single thing in life. So you prayed to a saint for love and a saint for healing and a saint for mercy. You can just see how the, that some of that carried over mistakenly into the early church. And Paul and Barnabas just essentially asked them, are you, are you satisfied? Now note the difference. It's almost the way President Reagan got elected in 1980. Remember what he said about Jimmy Carter? Some of you who were alive remember what he said about Jimmy Carter. He says, let me ask you a question. Four, from four years ago till now, do you have more money in your pocket since Jimmy Carter became your president? And many believe that one question piqued enough interest to get Reagan elected. But it's a brilliant, it's an ancient way to debate. Paul and Barnabas says, are you satisfied. You see, here's the problem with the Greek and Roman gods. They were just like tools or pawns to be prayed to or to be worshipped if you wanted your crops to grow. But if your crops didn't grow, there was no mercy. It was the God you prayed to if you wanted more romance in your life and more love. But if romance and love didn't come, there was no mercy. And these gods could, could crush you at a moment's notice. And so Paul simply says, are you satisfied? If you're not satisfied, let me tell you about the living God who can satisfy. It is a brilliant way for us to minister in a culture that is becoming less and less Christian by simply asking, are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? Let me ask you today, everything you're living for, you might not call it the, the Greek god of commerce, but if you're living for the dollar, has it satisfied you? If you're living for your career, what have you done when things don't go your way? And there's a, a problem, a, a restructuring, you're fired or you let go or you resign. Sometimes that can be merciless. And the message of the gospel to you is that there is a God in heaven who can satisfy, who can forgive, even when all the world is not going right. He is good to you. And Paul and Barnabas used that in verse 18. He says, this same God, verse 17, is the one who causes it to rain. He causes fruitful seasons he satisfies your heart with good things. If you're here today and you're searching the meaning of life, the meaning of church, the meaning of the gospel, let me recommend a book to you. This is called Reason for God by Tim Keller. A great book for skeptics, seekers. But if you also, if you have a seeker in your life, somebody who's asking questions, this would be a great book for you to read with them. Uh, he's a pastor in New York City. Uh, really understands the way to reach our culture uh, with the gospel. So how did they reach their city? They showed people that Jesus serves. They showed people that Jesus satisfies. But lastly, in number three, they showed the people how Jesus suffered. They showed the people how Jesus suffered. In the text that Aaron read a moment ago, these enemies traveled a long way to protest Paul and Barnabas. Traveled a long distance, about 100 miles. They stoned Paul. 
picture of the stoning. Stoning typically took place with smaller rocks being hurled like bullets. And then once the person was down or unconscious or almost unconscious, they would take larger rocks and, and drop them on the individual. They thought Paul was dead. The text here says they supposed him to be dead, verse 19. So whatever happened to Paul, he, he looked dead. But I love what happens in verse 20. It says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he, arose, he rose up and entered the city. It doesn't give us a timeline here. When we read the Bible, we remember not to read it thinking that everything happened immediately. Like in the Gospel of Mark, you've got 16 chapters, and it goes from item to item to item. And it makes Jesus really seem to be like this guy who's like a machine gun, that he never takes a break and he never rests. So we don't know the time period. It just simply says the disciples gathered around him, and then he rose up. I'm just going to use our imagination for a minute. Picture as the disciples cleaned his wounds. People who had heard his gospel and believed, and now they're cleaning his wounds. Picture the disciples holding his head, the head of the greatest missionary ever to walk the face of the earth besides Jesus, and trying through his swollen lips and broken teeth to give him some soup to eat or something to drink. Those of you that serve in the medical profession, you know every day. And if you don't know, please know that you are on the front edge of cutting grace, of common grace. You're on the cutting edge of showing the love of Jesus just with your job. However it happened, they gathered around him. Eventually, he was healed. Miraculously, naturally, or often, as is the case, both. But verse 22 says that after Paul went away from the city for a little while, he immediately came back. He returned to Lystra, verse 21, and, and says he strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now let's see how not to read this verse. He's not saying the way to enter the kingdom of God is to suffer. And the more you suffer, the better chance you have of getting into heaven. That's not what he's saying, thankfully. He's also not saying that uh, if, in order to, to enter one day this future thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth or, or some moment in the future when Jesus will touch down on the earth, which we believe, the way to do that is to suffer. And if you don't suffer, you don't get to do that. It's not what he's saying. But throughout the book of Acts, starting in chapter 1, verse 3, the kingdom of God simply refers to life with God, doing life with God. He says, if you're doing life with God, in other words, if you're a Christian, you can expect to suffer. You should expect to suffer. Now, our culture doesn't like that. But Paul says, through much suffering, you will enter, you will walk this life with God. One of the most important ways that you can bless your church and you can bless your family, you can bless your neighborhood, you can bless the city of Charleston is by suffering well. I'm almost 37 years old. I haven't lived hardly any suffering, hardly any at all. And I know that God has an agenda because whom the Lord uses greatly, he usually wounds them deeply. 
And there's going to be a day, one day, by his grace, because I want the gospel to go farther, I know I am going to need to come to you and say, how did you suffer? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. So I want to get that out in the open as a pastor and say, I'm going to need your help. And because I'm going to need your help, let me encourage you, those of you who are suffering, please suffer well. This week, probably more than any other time in my year and two weeks at Bible Center, I have heard of more suffering, people in my office telling me what they're walking through more than any time this past year. And they had no idea what the text was or what I was preaching on, but it has occurred to me there are many of you walking some very deep valleys right now. Please suffer well. Please don't let it make you bitter, but let it make you better. Please don't become a complainer. If your suffering has caused you to be a, uh, just, a, just kind of a calloused individual, please stop it. But let the suffering make you sweeter so you can teach the rest of us what it means to, to grow in grace, what it means to suffer well. You see, when the city of Charleston sees Bible Center, it's not this address that's going to win them to Christ. It's not even this beautiful building that's going to win them to Christ. But what's going to win the city of Charleston to Christ is when they see you, a believer, go through the valleys of suffering and see you suffer well. Then people will say, I want what you have. That's what God's calling us to as a church. May the Lord help you whatever deep suffering you're walking. May he help you walk it well. How can we pray? How can we leave this morning? What prayer can we pray? We can simply pray this. Lord, show my neighbors the hope of heaven by how I live on earth. How can we be a church Charleston can't live without? By praying, Lord, show my neighbors the hope of heaven by how I live on earth. I want to tell you the story of a church similar to ours in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. In 1961, the Homestead Heights Baptist Church was started in the Durham area. The church grew like many churches did, saw people come to faith in Christ, baptized just like we did today. But over the course of years, they built buildings, but after a while, they lost vision, lost passion, and church just became something they began to do by their own confession. Uh, people in the church saw it, people outside the church saw it. They lost their, their impact, their cutting edge. And in 2001, a good man named J.D. Greer became the senior pastor. And he confesses that for the first three years of his pastorate, and it's so easy to do, I never knew the temptation to I sat in this seat. For the first three years of his pastorate, he said that everything in his life revolved around how could he use the city to make his church bigger? And then he went on a mission trip in Southeast Asia, and he said he saw it in the heart of the missionaries that the goal for mission isn't to use the city to make your church bigger. It's to use your church to make the city more Christ-like. 
It's to use your church that the church can serve the city and show the love of Jesus and leave the results with God. And he came back with really a heart full of revival and he says, we're going to serve our city just as if we were missionaries in Southeast Asia. And they began to pray as a church, God, do this among us. They were waiting for the right opportunities. Like I know we've talked about in the last few weeks, God, lead us. What's next? What's the next big ministry? There's a thousand things we can do, but what's next? And and they heard about a school just down the road, public school, that was going to close its doors in two years if its test test scores didn't increase, morale didn't increase, and all that's involved. They were going to lose their job and shut down the school. And so his church began to be burdened. How can we bless this school in our neighborhood? And so they went to the principal and they thought, everybody's going to receive our care, receive our help. How can we serve your church? At first she thought they were crazy. You know how people look at you sometimes when you're a Christian? Like, you know, like he said that he he thought the principal probably imagined them coming to do some kind of a fair at their school and writing John 3.16 with mustard on the hot dogs. You know, Christians can be weird sometimes. And and he's like, no, we don't want to do any of that. We just want to bless you. How can we bless you? She will all think about it. Well, she sent word through one of her teachers who lived next door to one of the assistant pastors and said, well, hey, here's a way you can help. There's some people in our school, uh, there's a family in particularly that having trouble making ends meet. Could you bless this family with clothes, bless this family with food, and help this family get back on their feet? And so the church rose to the occasion and they did that. Well, you know what happened. She helped one and then before long word gets out hey, can you help this family and this family? So the church began not only to provide things, but begin to draw near. Community groups would adopt families. Community groups and ABFs like we have would adopt Sunday school, or Sunday school classes, would adopt teachers in the school. During the summer, they went in and painted. They renovated. They waxed floors. All the next year, they set up a rotating group through the different community groups, and they brought the teachers breakfast before the day started. They would pray and walk the halls and just quietly pray. They couldn't pray out loud, but quietly just pray that God would use and help these teachers. And their test scores within four years skyrocketed till that teacher in Durham, North Carolina, won principal of the year. When the paper interviewed her and asked her, how did this happen? She was quick to give praise. First of all, she was a woman of faith. But she was quick to give praise to the church down the road that had adopted their school and loved them so well. J.D.'s a few years older than me, but he said he got invited to come and teach or speak at the Martin Luther King Rally in Durham. If you know anything about Raleigh-Durham, that's a big deal every year. All the city officials were there. All the news outlets were there. And he was, he was nervous. He was sick almost in the back room getting ready. And the county commissioner walked up to him, put his arm around him, and he says, Do you know why you're here? And he says, No, I, I really don't. He says, It's because everywhere I look in Raleigh-Durham, people in your church are serving somebody. And our church, our city is better because your church is here. For 20 minutes on all the main news outlets, 18 of his 20 minutes, he says he just shared Jesus and shared why he did what he did and why the church is doing what they're doing. 18 out of 20 minutes, when it was done, the mayor, the city council, people in attendance stood to their feet in standing ovation, not for him, but for their church and how their church was intent to bless the city. 
In 10 years, his church has exploded to the glory of Christ. And if you ask him today, hey, what are you running? He'll tell you, I don't care. But let me tell you what my church is doing for my city. And people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ weekly and being baptized because a church prayed something like this. Lord, help us live on earth so our neighbors can know the hope of heaven. Would you pray that with me before we go? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing at Bible Center. I pray you would help us to be a church Charleston can't live without. For 74 years, we have this history, all the way back to our very first small groups, very first pastor, serving in the hospital, serving at the fire station, loving people well. I pray that our gospel message would never change. But God, teach us how we can adapt our methods to love and serve the people of our city. God, Charleston's a beautiful place. Canal Valley's a beautiful place. For many of us, you've called us here, we believe, for life. Help us to love it well. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to give you the chance. Maybe this morning God touched your heart about being satisfied in Jesus. Right now, you can put your faith in Him. You can pray to receive Christ. There's no set prayer in the Bible, but let me invite you right where you sit to ask God to be the Lord of your life. Like we heard six times already, Jesus is Lord. Would you pray and ask Christ into your life today? I'll pray you can follow along with me in your heart. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm hardly ever satisfied. But I believe you can satisfy me through Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day. Please be my Savior. Be my Master. Change my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know before you leave? I want to stand down front after this service. One of our pastors is in the living room. Someone will be out in the gathering space. You can just let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer. We'll follow back up with you this week and help you grow in the Christian life. Christian, let's take a minute and ask God to make us the church that impacts our city for Jesus.